It's time for Health Naturally with our herbalist, Dennis Stewart. And today, Dennis Stewart, we've, we've been noticing that there's some glorious weather around and it's a lot warmer than it usually is. So we need to be thinking about... Bees, bees, bees. Jane, it's so unseasonal that there is no doubt in my mind that we're going to have a very early honey season. And I think it's appropriate on today's program just to point out a few things that some of our many beekeepers out there who listen to this program need to know in preparation for the very early season that we're confronting. And to give us some great advice on bees. Now, you've had a lot to do with bees. I have, Jane. In fact, uh, I was reflecting on it this morning and it would be well well above 40 years I've been uh, working with bees, as my daughter Rachel frequently reminds me. And one thing I would like to be remembered by <laughs> is that I've done something to uh, encourage uh, beekeeping in this country and the way in which uh, it's possible for anyone who has an interest in nature to become involved in beekeeping. And I would like to think, and I'm pretty sure I'm right in saying this, that many listeners to this program, as a result of our discussions on bees and beekeeping and getting started, have in fact become beekeepers. I know that for people that come into my rooms at New Lambton and draw me aside and show me their honey and talk about problems. So there is no doubt that the program and our discussions on it has done something to promote what I think is still a a real possibility, uh, particularly for younger Australians, to get involved in an emerging industry that holds great potential at all levels, not just in honey producing, but also in actually things like queen raising and and, uh, honey product development, uh, honey pharmaceuticals, all those things are happening now. So even though we're talking about bees and beekeeping today, it very strongly ties in with my interest and fascination in natural health generally because I've always seen honey as being more than just a food. I've seen honey as essentially a medicinal agent. Sure, it's a food, but it has profound medicinal properties and hence we've spoken about those properties on the program over the years and we may talk a little bit about them today. But my concern today, as you pointed out, Jane, was that... uh, we're going to have a very early season. That means the bees are going to start working earlier than what they might normally do. The weather we're having now is unseasonal. And walking out of my home this morning and looking to the hives, looking at my hives, I can tell from the activity that's going on with the hives that they're working full bore now. And this normally doesn't happen until we're well into August. So in my opinion, we're about three or four weeks already into what could be referred to as the honey season. That's my opinion. And what I'd like to say today, particularly to the people that have just started out in beekeeping, and many have got their first hive, say, last year, and everything's gone on well, now's the time to begin to be prepared to look at the hive and do things like housekeeping. Otherwise, with the early season and with the bees working so frantically, it's possible that they will swarm early and the young beekeepers or those coming into the game, so to speak, early may not realise when a hive swarms, they lose a very, very large percentage 
of their bees and it can have a debilitating effect on the hive. So one of the things I'd like to get over to all listeners that are interested in bees or who have a beehive is begin to go through the hive pretty shortly and make sure that you're prepared for the potential of a swarm and one of the best ways of doing that of course is to make sure that the hive has plenty of space. If you are working presently just with a brood chamber so to speak that is just one box with the queen and the worker bees in the in the in the bottom box so to speak now is the time to contemplate putting on what we call in the profession a super and a super is where you have a second box put on the hive and usually there's what's called a queen excluder which stops the queen gravitating from the brood chamber up into the super she continues to lay frantically in the brood chamber but the uh, the worker bees will take their honey and plant it in the super and from there of course the honey is extracted uh, and when it's spun out of the frames so now's the time let me emphasize an early season for beekeepers out there start to look at your hives now in order to offset the possibility of swarming and I'll talk a little bit in a moment also about other things that need to be looked at at this time of the year. Julie's rung in from the Central Coast and Julie you've got a question which relates to a friend's baby's eczema. Yes. Hi Dennis. Hi Jane. Sorry sorry to bother you. I know you're talking about bees today. Um, yeah my, my uh, a friend from school her little baby she's only four months old and she's got terrible eczema it's all on her face and in her hair and their mum's exhausted and baby's in tears and I know you mentioned something a couple of weeks ago about it and I thought I'd give you a buzz and see if I could get you to repeat it for me. Julie with a little baby as young as that it would be inadvisable uh, okay. to participate in the management of a little baby at that age. A, a baby right. at that age needs to be under the care of a GP and even a paediatrician. And, yeah. and these days with infantile eczema, uh, it can be managed well within the mainstream. This is, not, okay. this is not putting aside some of the possibilities in natural medicine that can yeah. be used if and when the eczema lingers on the child and when the child reaches four and five if it's still active at that stage there's quite a lot of possibilities that one can use okay. but with yep. a little with a little baby like this you have to be very very cautious and mm. uh, it would be not correct of me to make a recommendation yeah. without uh, without the the doctor or the pediatrician's approval um, yep. so later on and one thing I would say about this though Julie is that look Having seen a lot of people with eczema over many, many years, in fact, it was my own experience of suffering eczema as a young man that got me into this profession, so I know a fair bit about it. It's, it's very, very common with kids that start off with infantile eczema to see that condition dissipate or, or retreat. It's not, yeah. it's not something that the, the, the mum should look at as being uh, necessarily going to be there all the time. Um, yeah. My experience is that many of the kids tend to grow out of it. What, what, what I have found over the years is that one of the, the things that seems to help um, kids with eczema along, the, along food lines, and this must be, of course, discussed with the GP or the paediatrician, but one of the things I've found is that, that goat's milk seems, yeah. seems to have helped 
some kids right. are, some kids along the track um, break out of it fairly easily. In fact, uh, one of the books that I read on this many, many years ago was written by a British doctor, Dr. Vera Walker, and she wrote a book on the therapeutic uses of goat's milk. And uh, yeah. goat's milk was recommended in that book uh, as, right. as an alternative, particularly where the child was being uh, fed off the breast, so to speak. If this yeah. child is breastfed, um, which I presume she is, or yeah. he is? Okay. I assume so, yeah. yeah. Well, there, of course, that's the best place for the child to be. Right. But very yeah. frequently, uh, kids are put onto, say, cow's milk, um, and sometimes there's a, a reaction to that. And this is yeah. where I've found over the years goat's milk is useful. But outside yeah. of that, I'd, I'd prefer not to comment. Not a problem. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks, Have a great Julie. day. Good. Okay. Thank you, Julie, for your call. 49216216 is the number for your topic. doesn't have to be on bees and beekeeping, but it can be if you've got a question that way. And um, I think we might have another caller. We do indeed, and it is mm. Sue who's rung in from Thornton. Sue, you want to talk to Dennis about polymyalgia rheumatica? Yes, I do. Hello, Sue. Hello, Dennis. You have been um, diagnosed with this, have you? I have, it's, yes. It's a nasty condition, isn't it? Very, Not very nice at all. <laughs> very, very painful. Are you, are you yes. on a steroid at present? Yes, he's yeah. put me on a steroid, yeah, yes. Okay. And what, five milligrams or is it higher? He started me off on 15 milligrams yes, yes. and every six weeks yes. he's reducing it yeah. by two milligrams. Well, look, your doctor's got you on the right program at this stage. Um, okay. This is a standard treatment and I've observed many, many people that have done well on this mainstream medical treatment. The steroid <coughs> prednisone that you would be using is, is useful and renowned uh, for addressing the pain and the inflammation behind this condition. And in my opinion, there's nothing in our system of medicine at this acute phase, let me emphasize, at this acute phase that can compete with that medication. What I have always recommended uh, to patients is that as they move towards the end of the transit, which usually is around five milligrams where your doctor may keep you on that for some time or uh, suggest a break from it depending on how well you are. I've found yeah. that people, when they get to that point, many go on to a preparation called Astragalus 8. Okay, yeah. And, and, have, uh, and have claimed that that has helped maintain the momentum of the steroid treatment. In our profession, polymyalgia rheumatica is, is seen as, uh, as involving the immune system and uh, Astragalus 8 is okay. a remedy renowned for reinforcing the patient's immunology and giving them some natural resistance uh, to resist the reassertion of these sorts of conditions. So presently, I would not suggest that you interfere in any way with what your GP is doing for you. It's the standard treatment. But okay. down the track, I would advise you to consider going on to Astragalus 8, which you can purchase from your pharmacist or your health food store. Okay, all right. Is there anything else in the meantime that I could use because he's saying that it can cause osteoporosis? Yeah, but again there, what your doctor is saying is correct, but again, yeah. it would be dependent, in my opinion, on how long you were to stay on the steroid. Okay, um, yeah, he's talking about a couple of years, actually. Oh, okay. Um, I could talk a little bit about that, but I won't. That's a, 
a long period of time. I would, um, I would, if I was in that situation, that's how I'll couch my reply. If I was in that situation, when I reached a low level of the steroid, I would be seeking to augment it, not just with something like astragalus 8, but perhaps a softer anti-inflammatory agent that might be able to um, wean you off even the lower dose of the steroid. And at that stage, I'd recommend you consider uh, things like the, the curcumin, uh, consider things like uh, willow bark, consider standard anti-inflammatories, things like devil's claw. At that point, you would need, I suggest, to see a compounding pharmacist, a naturopath or a herbalist to look at options that could be looked at that might speed up your retreat from any long-term exposure to the condition. And Joanne has come back to the topic of bees. You've rung in from Valentine, Joanne. Hi, how are you? Um, it's Yvonne. Yvonne, how are you? Good, thank you. Good, um, good, good. Yeah, you just bring me back to my childhood. My brother used to have bees in the backyard. Oh, actually, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah, you <laughs> probably actually remember him um, growing up, Lindsay. And, um, yeah, we used to um, go down and get the honeycomb. It was actually beautiful. But I'm in Valentine, and we have a lot of bees that actually yes. come in the pool. Yes. So we scoop them out each day yes. so that, yes. you know, they survive. So yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of people that have pools that yeah. are, don't realise that they actually are in the water unless yes. you get them out. They'll just die. So we try and keep right. them alive as right. much as we can. What, what sometimes is useful... Uh, with that and and you, you see this frequently around the places that people will put little bits of wood or sticks mm. on top of the water which allows the bees to have if you like solid ground under their feet but okay. yet, yet still dip into the into the water to have a drink uh, oh. so it's not a bad idea if you have a big uh, pool in your backyard or even a pond where you have fish or anything like that just put a few little sticks or, right. or, or a little bit of wood and the, mm -hmm. be the bees will land on that, and they'll what? they'll be safe. They won't drown, yet they'll still be able to uh, to get the water that they need desperately. Well, that's good to know. I mean, the birds just go in and out, but you know, sometimes we can't get there in time, and they've actually sure. died. So I'll do everything I can. So that's good. You know, just put a stick in, and it'll yeah, well, something set on. It doesn't have to be anything flamboyant, but um, it's a good way of looking after the bees, and without being too sentimental. Without bees, we've got nothing. I think it was uh, great Albert Schweitzer, I think it was Schweitzer, who, who made the comment that, that when we lose bees, we lose civilization. Oh, that sounds very fair yeah, indeed. Does, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, it's good to see that mm. there are some more beekeepers around helping there are. keep I, the I bee would, population I'd alive. be intrigued to know who, um, who Yvonne's brother was. He mentioned... She mentioned Bradley. A, Bradley. Oh, yes, I, I knew yeah. them well. Yes, I grew yes, up with them. Yes, exactly. I grew up with them. I yes, knew Lindsay well me too. Back to childhood, you oh, know. Dear yeah. In fact, I could tell you a story about that. Well, um, that'd be nice. Yeah, this is a true story, by the way. Uh, okay. There were a couple of Bradley boys, weren't there? There was Lindsay. Uh, Robert, Peter, and Lindsay. Right. Well, every uh, every Saturday, um, we used to retreat as a group of boys growing up. In in the Crest Road Walls End, and you were one street down from us. We That's used to, right. We Charmer used to, Street. Charmer Street. We used to retreat to the uh, Empire Theatre in, yeah, in, in Walls End yeah, and, and watch the afternoon matinee. And if cowboys and Indians were on, which they <laughs> inevitably were, we we would relive the situation on the Sunday. Oh, well, okay. We relived it on one occasion, and and nearly hung 
your brother because oh. in, in in the in the movie the the criminal was strung up by a group of uh, cowboys. So we played the game, didn't we? <laughs> was so, this in Hollywood or uh, no, around the back? Or no, just... this, was it, this was in your driveway. In your, in oh. Your, and I don't know what happened, but it, well, he didn't die, but we weren't very popular with your parents. No, oh, OK, well, see, I didn't even know that until oh, you told I, me. I, I knew them well, I knew them well. In fact, little Peter used to run like a like a machine. His, his, <laughs> his, uh, his legs would go round and round like on a bicycle. Oh, look, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for ringing. You've made yeah, my day. thank you, because yeah. I didn't know until you said that. I thought, oh, yeah. what have they done now? My no. brothers are always into trouble, catching no. crawchies around the... Oh, they were good the days. Quarry. Yeah, they, they were. were. Good thank days. you so much, Dennis. They were Dennis. good days. Thank you, Eva. And, yeah, yeah it's, uh, I think the best advice is don't try that at home. <laughs> <laughs> we did terrible things in those days. You did. Uh, Joanne has rung in from Maryland on 49216216. Now, Joanne, your question is about inflammation... And willow bark, is that right? That's, mm-hmm. that's correct, yes. Hello, Joanne. Hello, Dennis, how are you? I'm well indeed. How can we help you? Um, I would just like um, your opinion yeah. on, I have, um, to make a long story short, what looks like a skin cancer uh-huh. uh, on my um, forehead, mm-hmm. um, and a biopsy has shown um, that it's there's no cancerous cells there, it's actually inflammation, but um, I haven't really been advised as to what to do about it and then um, I've been reading and I've come across willow bark so but because I don't know much about it I was just wondering what your thoughts were on willow bark and inflammation. Well willow bark has some definite uh, recognised anti-inflammatory characteristics but they assert themselves on the muscular and skeletal system. There There are no indications for willow bark as being used as a, as, a, as a dermatological agent, and right. I, and I would not recommend it. Um, as, as for muscular and skeletal conditions, it is an undiscovered gem, particularly as a, a softer option to some of the anti-inflammatory medications that are used presently for arthritis and rheumatism. But um, I would not recommend uh, willow bark. It is never used, as far as I'm aware, in any creams or in any topical applications whatsoever. So I'd caution you against doing anything with it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what would you suggest well, then? Well, has your... Um, you'd obviously had it investigated by your GP and a dermatologist? I have, yes. Okay. Uh, I, haven't, I haven't seen a dermatologist as yet. Okay. Um, I have had it investigated by my GP. Okay. Has your GP um, referred you? Um, not, she hasn't yet, no. Um, okay. Well, look, in, in, an inflammatory skin condition can take very many forms. Um, for instance, a dermatitis is an inflammatory skin condition. An eczema is an inflammatory skin condition. If it was something like that, I've always recommended something like a, a, a GA cream, which is based on an extract of licorice. Um, and that's worked well um, in my career in addressing uh, mild inflammatory dermatological conditions such as eczema and dermatitis. It it possibly would would have an application for this. Has your doctor prescribed a steroid cream or anything like that? It didn't work. Okay. Well, that that may mean that uh, it's it's a little bit more than just being inflammatory, and this is why I'm hinting that it might be worthwhile getting a dermatologist to look at it. But in the interlude, uh, using what's called the GA cream might be a useful way to go. It certainly um, is, a, is a mild 
anti-inflammatory agent and it also has some cosmetic possibilities. Okay, so GA cream, and where do I obtain that from? If, if you like mm. to stay on the line, Joanne, um, Sally will give you the details of where you can find out about that. Thanks for your All call. Right, then. Thank Thanks you very much. Okay, Thank stand you. by. Bye-bye. This is Health Naturally, and uh, we are taking your calls on 49216216. Cathy uh, has rung in too. Cathy, you're from Spears Point, and your questions about antidepressants. Yes, Dennis. Um, hello. Yes. Um, I've been on antidepressants mm. over years. Yes. Um, and I've been totally weaned off them now. Yes. Um, but I still feel that there is something that I need something naturally mm. okay. to, yeah, okay. I'd rather go natural, yes. Now, you are off all prescription medication, are you? Well, I've got. Uh, well, I'm also on um, Cresta and yes, um, blood yes. pressure tablets. But you are off um, all antidepressant medication. Yes, okay. I have been okay. since well, now. What are the things that might be useful? And, and you owe it to your GP to discuss this with her. One of the things that might be useful is for you to try uh, the herb known as St John's Wort. I've heard about that one, yeah. The reason I mention that is that it's probably one of the better uh, described and researched herb. If you were to look on the net, you would find that there would be adequate science, pharmacology, and even clinical uh, indications to support its use as a mild, and let me emphasise, a mild antidepressant and mood stabiliser. And I've found that in practice over the years, to be to be fairly a, a good example, a good uh, characterization of St John's Wort. So that's the one that immediately comes into my mind. But again, um, you need to be under the management of your GP. You're doing well to be off prescription medication, but if you're not feeling as well as you should, discuss no. it with the GP. She would know. He or she would know of Hypericum, which is the technical name, was St John's Ward, so run it past her. So is there any side effects with that? Okay. Like, you know, as, as with, with antidepressants, okay. there's always side effects with look, weight gain and things mm, like that. So. With, with, with Look, with all medications, including natural medications, there are, there's always the possibility of a, of a reaction or a side effect. To be fair, to be fair, uh, St John's Ward if there are side effects associated with it, are fairly mild and, in my experience, are very, very unusual. That is why the preparation can be purchased without script. So no natural medicine is safe per se, in my opinion, but I would be surprised if St John's Wort had any major uh, problems for your taking it, particularly if you're being guided by your GP. Thank you, Dennis. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Pleasure. So we've been talking about bees and Dennis Stewart has been talking about all sorts of other things as well, but we are returning to honey at the moment. Marie's rung in from Percolben and uh, you want to talk about honey ointment and horses, Marie. Yes, I do. Good afternoon, Dennis. I just wanted to ask you a quick question as yes. to whether you've used your ointment at all on um, a horse wound. Uh, okay. My horse actually has... Uh, Penile cancer, yes. which is um, 
really at the he's old, so yes. he's at the stage where it's I'm just bathing. He's on a um, been on an antibiotic cream, which has not yes. worked, and the yes. vet has recommended that it's really at the stage now where we just wait and see, okay. or we euthanize him. And I don't want to do that. But okay. years ago, I actually used your honey ointment yes. on an old. Yes. So I wanted to know what your thoughts were about putting it on his wound. I'd, I'd, I'd encourage you to do that, Marie. Um, in fact, um, uh, you've used the, the honey ointment previously, but you'd be interested to know that, 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 that honey ointment has, has made its reputation, both on humans and, and animals, uh, for these sorts of slow healing, ulcerative um, infections. And um, you're a New Zealander. Um, uh, Peter Molan was the New Zealand researcher um, on honey that demonstrated the the efficacy particularly of the manuka honey and in in, uh, his work he demonstrated that above all things um, uh, honey and particularly honey preparations incorporating manuka were specific for wounds, ulcers, diabetic ulcers, wounds that were infected, uh, wounds that would not heal despite being treated with other things. And it, it was his work um, that reiterated or supported a lot of my claims over many years, because as far as I'm aware, I was the first in this country to develop a honey ointment based on a Russian formula. I've told the story before, and for years and years and years have demonstrated its ability to address the sort of thing you're talking about. And it doesn't matter whether it's a, a human, a, a goat, a horse, um, honey ointment, in my opinion, will address any lesion that's characterised by infection, slow healing, ulcerative activity. You've got everything to gain, Murray. Yes, yes, I have. Well, that's good to know because I just don't want him to be more irritated no. because at the moment we've tired him up sure. with well, with, with, it, with every Cree, regardless of what it is, you always do a touch or a patch test. But to be fair... The honey ointment is in a very mild and mollifying base, as you've used it before. I'd be, I'd be very, very surprised to see if it did any irritation at all. I'd encourage you to give it a go, Mari. Excellent, and good luck with that, Mari. And uh, Fran has rung in from Cardiff. Fran, your question's about reflux. Yes, that's right. Hello, Fran. Hello, Fran. I've seen you in your room several times, Dennis. Oh, there you go. Yeah, um, but I'm on um, medication for yes. uh, reflux yes. and acid stomach. Yes. I've tried three different lots of tablets. Yes. I've been having Mylanta, Gaviscon, yes. uh, Rennie's, and until I get back to see my doctor, I'm at wit's end of what to do, else to do. You, 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 your doctor has had your Nexium? Yeah, Nexium, Parius, okay. Somac. All, all those sorts of things. Yes. And you've had the condition for quite some time? Yes. Well, look, there's a couple of little things you can try that are not going to conflict with what your good doctor is trying to do. Um, the first thing you need to realise is that in herbal medicine, there is a, a European herb, an English herb, that's known as meadowsweet. Now, you better write that down, meadowsweet. Right, yeah. Now, yep. if, you, if you were to look in the literature that governs our profession, particularly the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia, you will note that meadowsweet is classically indicated for what we now call reflux conditions, or what in the past might have been called high acidity conditions. It's underused, it is underappreciated, but it's a, it's a real gem, and it probably is best taken 
as, as a tea. So you'd be able to procure it uh, from a health food store around you, and there are plenty of health food stores around where you are. Get, yep. hold, get hold of some meadow sweet herbal tea and begin to use that two to three cups of it a day. I'd be surprised if it didn't do something for you, but at the same time, don't overlook the mollifying and soothing benefit of the old-fashioned slippery old powder. Radio. Using slippery old powder is a safe and supportive way. What it does, it provides a barrier on the stomach wall, which uh, gives the stomach wall a chance to heal and lessens further irritability from the gastric contents. Those two things would be a good starting base. None, okay. of, none of it would conflict with what you're doing. I'd be surprised if it didn't do you some good. All right, then. Well, I'll go and get some either out to Warner's Bay this afternoon or... Yeah. Is okay. your rooms open today or...? Look, use your health food store where you are. They, you, All right. You, they, they can supply you with those sorts of things. Excellent. All the best, Fran. And our last call for today, Bill has rung in from Cessnock and uh, it's about psoriasis and um, it's about your granddaughter, is it, Bill? Yes, it is. Hello, Bill. Hello, Dennis. Um, yeah, mate, I'm just trying to find out a bit more information yes. on this psoriasis. Like, yes. she's only eight-year-old, yes. and um, mostly I've known it to be in middle-aged people, but oh, um, no, no, no. I just wondered whether it was a medical thing or whether it was okay. a, uh, it, uh, a diet thing. If, if, it's, if it's psoriasis, mm -hmm. it, it is a medical condition, and the, the cause of psoriasis... Is, is still pretty well unknown. There are a lot of theories about it, whether it's genetically based. Um, I've not found, my experience is that I've not found that there's a direct relationship uh, with psoriasis to diet. Now, I know there's a lot of information out there suggesting that dietary modification or change would work wonders with it. I've never found it to be so, so I would question that. And your daughter obviously would be being treated by, or your granddaughter would be treated by, by a dermatologist? Um, yes, they've provided a, um, a cream to put yes. on the um, yes. on the spots on her body yes. and uh, in her hair, yes. um, she, they apply a cream twice a week and, yes. and leave it on overnight and then shampoo, yes. a special shampoo to wash it out of the morning. Yeah, yeah. The good thing about this, uh, Bill, is the, 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 your little, the, the little girl's only very young and it's distinctly possible that she will grow out of the condition, so to speak. But a couple of little things that might be useful uh, for you to consider and run past your medical managers. Yeah. There's, a good, there's a good argument to suggest that either fish oil or evening primrose oil... Fish oil? Or, evening primrose. or evening primrose oil yep. are, are useful oral supplements. Yep. And the two herbs that uh, I fall back on, particularly with adult management, and this may not be applicable to your daughter, but uh, one of them in particular is, is quite harmless, um, the old-fashioned herb sarsaparilla. Sarsaparilla. You're not going to believe oh. it. But of all, all the herbs mentioned in the British Herbal Pharmacopoeia of 1983, yep. Smilax officinalis, which sounds more medical, but really it's just sarsaparilla. Sarsaparilla as oral medicine is specific for psoriasis. The thing about it is that it needs to be persevered with and the downside to it is that it's in a liquid form and kids eight years of age aren't very keen on taking uh, unflavoured herbal medicine. 
Um, the, the other thing is that it might be worthwhile also mentioning to your GP that in the past, preparations containing a small amount of zinc and pine tar were very, very effective. And I, and I have a view that the, this level of preparation, it's my personal opinion, is not used enough and that the steroid preparations have too quickly been accessed and some of the older-fashioned preparations have been overlooked. I still remember 30 years ago lecturing on uh, topical applications based on zinc, uh, pine tar, and students making them up, medical pharmaceutical students, and getting great results. So pine tar preparations and ointment containing pine tar or juniper tar with, uh, with a bit of zinc might be useful also to run past your GP rather than just depend on steroid. And thank you very much for your call, Bill. We're heading towards the news. We've, in our last second or two, Dennis, I, I just reckon that um, you're talking about honey. It's wonderful that we can get local honey at our local ah, markets because you know absolutely. it's been Absolutely. Jane, you after. are so good. You are so loyal. <laughs> but your point is valid. Your point is valid because I've read recently that one of the greatest scams in the food chain in the world is associated with honey. So if you're going to use honey in this country, make sure you're using Australian honey. And it, my advice is, wherever possible, get the honey direct from the producer. If we've got little guys making a quid at the markets, selling the honey that they've produced themselves, in my opinion, go that way. Go for it. And that's Health Naturally for today on 2NURFM.